Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening all. It's actually Sunday morning here. I usually record these on Saturday, but we had a big concert on Saturday. Slayer's farewell tour was in the neighboring state of Massachusetts. I am a huge Slayer fan, a huge Amon Marth fan, huge Cannibal Corpse fan, and like myself, some Lamb of God every once in a while. So this one was kind of a no-brainer. It was also my son's 16th birthday, who's a huge Amon Marth fan. So we got tickets, went up, and... Between the screaming and the fact that uh, the majority of people there were either vaping or smoking some other type things, we won't mention what, my voice was kind of shot this morning when I got up, so I'm like, I might have misjudged this, because in anticipation of going to the concert, I didn't really feel like sitting down, I was kind of jacked up all day and doing the podcast, I said, I'll just do it Sunday morning, and not thinking about the fact that between yelling and hooting and hollering and the smoke, that I might have an issue with my voice. So we're going to try to get through this one, I'm kind of, right now it's about the crack as it is, so... Hopefully, I can get all the way through this without having too many issues. So to kick this one off today, I got some sad news, or what seems to be like sad news. My avicularia metallica, which is, of course, avicularia avicularia now, but just what is avicularia metallica? Avicularia metallica comes out when I talk about her. Anyway, if everybody remembers, I picked this one up from Jamie's after my first one, um... (laughs) pretty much spontaneously like exploded itself. I, I came up on it one day. It was doing great. I'd had for many years and I noticed it didn't look good. I took the cage down. It wasn't moving. It wasn't responsive. Well, come to find out it had detached two of its legs uh, and bled out. It was the weirdest thing I've ever seen. It, it couldn't, never did figure out exactly what happened. There was not, there should have been nothing in that enclosure that it could have caught its legs on. And I found one at like the top of the cage and one at the bottom of the cage Again, no idea what happened. There was no ants. There was no prey items in there. There was It was just this, one of the strangest things I've ever had since being in the hobby and devastating. Like nobody wants to find their spider like that. It was, it was incredibly unnerving to open it up and see it basically bleeding out on its webbing. And so I tried to get it into a nice, you get some liquids. It was, it was too far gone. So I picked up another one that was a juvenile. This one was doing pretty well. Uh, rehoused it in, I think... July of 2000, looking back to my videos to try to figure out something, uh, July in 2017, rehoused it into an extra large critter keeper. And I noticed at that time, it seemed to be rather, it, it didn't settle in well. Uh, it, it, I gave it an enclosure with a cork bark and with, you know, some fake foliage, fake plant and everything. And it just kind of sat hunkered up in the corner, kind of stressed out in a stress curl. It didn't really move a lot. And finally, it started to settle in a little bit. But I noticed I would drop prey items in on the ground and it wouldn't find them. It wouldn't. And this is something I, I hear all the time from people like beginners will come on and they'll say, hi, I don't think my arboreal is eating. I'm dropping food items down on the ground. It's not getting them. And I'll hear like sometimes on forums and such some experienced people. That's not true. If they're hungry, they'll find it. Well, no, I've actually seen instances, many of them specifically with my avicularia species where they will stay up top and they don't find those prey items on the ground. This happened with my, well, now Carabina Versicolor years ago where I had to tong feed her because I had her in one of those little Amec boxes, the Jamie's arboreal enclosures. She had webbed up in the top and I would drop a little roach in the night, you know, before I went to bed, come back the next morning, roach was still there. She'd never find it. So I started tilting the thing on its side and putting the roach at the opening of her little web cocoon and she'd come out and grab it. It was adorable, but that is something that can happen. And again, it, it usually happens more with my avicularia species. They tend to, they're true arboreals where they hang up, even as slings hang up high. The Salmopius, uh, Tapitacinius, and Pisolotheria that I've kept tend to 
kind of as slings, they'll burrow a bit. They'll stay on the ground more, even as adults. Some of my pokies kind of hunker down behind the cork bark and not necessarily on top of it. So I think they have a much easier time finding the prey items are on the ground because they're kind of up and down all around. The avicularia tend to stay up higher. So anyway, I get this girl. I put her in the new enclosure. I notice she's not eating particularly well. I'm dropping prey items in and I get fed. So I started tong feeding her again. This is only the second time, the second spider I've ever kept out of, oh gosh, God only knows how many, that I've actually felt the need to tong feed. The other one being that Carabina versicolor I mentioned earlier. And for a little while, she was doing great. And she was eating, doing fine, and she ended up molting. And after the molt just wasn't quite the same, I was trying to tong feed her. She would run away. She would kind of slap at the stuff. I caught her eating a couple times, which was great, but then she just seemed to stop eating. So I started to really worry that it might be the enclosure, that the enclosure might just not be uh, allowing for her to settle in well, which is weird because you figure if she if she was eating enough to molt the first time, you know, I put her in there, she was eating enough to molt, you figure she'd be fine. But I, I just wasn't comfortable with the way she was acting in this enclosure. It was like she was lost in it. So I ended up taking her out and putting her in one of the ones I had custom made years ago by a place that I won't name because they're not around anymore because they ended up screwing some people over and disappearing. But I had three arboreal cages that I designed that they made for me that are about, I think, five inches deep by nine inches by 14 inches tall. So they're more tall than wide and a little more cozy for the spider. So I put her in one of those again with, I took her cork bark out. So she still have her cork bark with the, the plant, put the plant in it, put the water dish in it, some new substrate and just hasn't been the same since. I mean, she, she never really pulled out of this. So the other day I walked in and she was not looking good looked stress curled, looked very weak. Um, I might take her out and try to give her some fluids, although I don't think it's that because I literally caught her drinking the other night. So I'm, I'm at a loss. She's not looking good. She's looking very lethargic. She isn't eating anything. Her abdomen is quite shriveled and small now. And I'm upset because I don't know what's going to be the second avicularia species that I've had something mysterious happen to. Now, I went back. One of the things I was talking about is I went back and watched the videos to find out when I had rehoused her because I had those bad bags of substrate that I picked up. I believe it was 2017. But when I first moved her, it was July. And I don't think I got these bags until like October, November. So it shouldn't be that because this was something very similar to what I saw with the, the animals that had been, you know, affected by this bad bag or these bad bags of substrate. I bought some Agway. It had something in it, whether it be insecticide, herbicide, but resulted in a ton of deaths, a mass, massive amount of deaths in my collection. And it took me, unfortunately, too long to figure out what the heck was wrong. So by the time I figured it out, and already the majority of spiders or animals that I put on a couple scorpions, I lost... Um, I lost my, basically all of my assassin bugs. They were all, I'd done this huge rehousing, cleaned out their enclosure. I had a bunch of babies. I set one up with them. The babies were dead in like a week. It was, it was terrible, but I think I rehoused her before that. So I can't really attribute it to that. So then I just got to kind of wonder what is going on with these. And that's one of the things I've talked about before that, you know, with spiders and, and tarantulas and, the physiology, it's very difficult to tell when they're sick. It's very difficult to diagnose what is making them sick. They're not expressive. And one of the things that comes up repeatedly when I talk to other people that are in the know, more in the know about the stuff than I am, is the bacterial issues. The fact that they can get bacterial infections, things of that nature, and sometimes that can take them down. And so 
trying to, you know, it's it's kind of like a crapshoot trying to figure out what it may be. And I again, I I'm hoping she's going to pick up. I'm going to take her out of this enclosure and put her in something smaller with some good ventilation, but with more water and hope that maybe she rehydrates. But this doesn't seem to be a rehydration issue. Again, I just took a picture of her, like, I think two weeks ago, drinking out of her water dish to show people that, yes, arboreals will come down and use her water dishes. I was like, oh, good, she's drinking. Now she's just kind of looking really pitiful and sad, and you can tell she's having a difficult time staying on the size of the enclosure. It's just terrible to see. But uh, again, I, I only say this because I, I hear from people that – beat themselves up over the fact that, you know, something died. And, and again, you'll do what I do, hopefully, is, you know, you you move on from it. You, you hopefully learn something from it. You try to figure out what might be causing it. And unfortunately, many times we're left with more questions than answers. And I, I'm hoping she pulls out. I'm hoping this doesn't turn into a, you know, a spider death. I haven't had one quite some time with the exception of, you know, old mature males or anything. I I was really enjoying this streak, especially after that horrendous winter with the substrate issues. I mean, that, that I'm telling you, that came close to putting me out of the hobby because I was getting all these deaths. had no idea what was going on. I mean, Billy was <laughs> to console me because I'd come home from work. I'm like, oh, great, another one. What is happening? So at least I figured out what that was and was able to learn from the mistake. How now I'm, you know, at a loss trying to figure out what's wrong with this girl. So hopefully she pulls through. We'll be trying some stuff later on today. I'll be moving her into another enclosure. Uh, normally I don't want to stress them and that's a big issue where people get sick tarantulas and the first thing they do is pluck them out and put them in a totally different environment. And I've toy, it's kind of flawed logic in some ways because I've had people like, oh, it's a little bit lethargic and need to drink water. We'll try to, I always try to do that within its own enclosure. So I'm not stressing it more. So you figure you got a sick tarantula and now all of a sudden you're uprooting it, pulling it out, putting it into a brand new area even just regular rehousings can stress spiders out. Now you have one that's already sick and you're doing the same thing. And then what happens is they pop it back into their regular enclosure. So that's more change. So I try to avoid that. But in this instance, she's the things I've tried. You know, I've moistened the substrate a little bit because I was, you know, during the wintertime, I was wondering if maybe it was getting a little too dry for her, even though I've had great luck with just the water dishes and moistening a corner down with the avicularia species, keeping that good cross ventilation. I thought maybe it gotten a little bit dry. But again, this is my third, fourth winter with her. So it shouldn't be that. Um, but again, you try everything, but now I'm at a point where there's really nothing left to lose. If I have to move her, we'll move her and see if maybe there's something there, but I am worried about it being something internal, something I can't see like a, you know, bacterial infection or something of that nature, especially with her drinking out of the water dish. That was kind of rare. I normally don't catch her coming down. So who knows? We'll have to see where it goes, but I'm, I really am hoping she pulls through. So moving on, we're going to talk about the species husbandry requirement for Haploclastus divamantha. This is one that the it was originally the T. psychedelicus, and then they realized they had already found the spider before, and it was classified under another name. So I just love the name T. Psycho. I, I have to admit that was like part of the appeal of the spider to me was the cool name, and we should just call it the T. Psycho around here, which just sounded great. But H. divamantha. And I love this guy. I have one now. I'm hoping it's a female. And again, talking about devastating losses due to the substrate, I had originally gotten two slings. Billy bought them for me for Christmas a couple of years back. It was like a huge part of my Christmas gift that year. And it was like spiders I had been admiring, but was too cheap to pull the trigger myself. So awesome Christmas gift. Unfortunately, both of them grew very quickly. They were in vials and I rehoused them and I rehoused them into that substrate that we were talking about earlier, the Agway, which I will never buy again. And both ended up dead within a couple months. It was horrific. And again, I've, I've said this before. I don't care how much a spider costs. If I get a freebie, if I lose a freebie, I'm going to be upset. I lost an A-Annex years ago that was a freebie and I was 
here I am talking about it again, still upset about it. So it really doesn't matter with me. But this one, it was extra difficult because Billy spent a lot of money on them for me. It was a gift. It meant a lot. And then I'm thinking, my God, I just did a husbandry thing on these guys. I did the rehousing video. The one in the rehousing video was dead a month later, I think. It didn't take long for whatever was in this substrate to kill them off. And it seems like the ones that were the moisture-loving burrowing species got, you know, were, were killed sooner than the others because obviously they're completely emerged and whatever chemical was in that stuff. So devastating. I did get another one from Tanya from Fear Not Tarantulas. Uh, she hooked us up with another one and that one's doing knock on wood. I won't go ahead and knock on wood, but knock on wood, it's doing great. These guys, I love them. They're, besides being gorgeous, and again, one thing you need to realize is that a lot of the pictures you see out there circulating around of this, you know, psychedelic looking tarantula, those are the, the slings and juveniles. They, they pick up those beautiful colors early on. As adults, they tend to dull out a, a little bit. The females look a little more black. When the light goes on them, you'll see some of those colorations, but don't expect that, you know, eyeball popping psychedelic look that uh, you see on the slings and juveniles. But, one of the things that these guys are obviously burrowing species, species, you want to provide them with moist substrate. To start mine off, they were in dram vials. They did very well in those. They do this neat thing where they do this little volcano webbing that comes out of the ground. So most, the majority of my fossorial species, when they build their burrows, they go into the ground and they have an entrance and they, you know, will sit at the entrance. These guys will web up like a little web tornado, uh, not tornado, dear gosh, volcano coming out of the top of the webbing volcano that comes up quite a bit. So when you set them up, make sure like if you have a dram vial, put a little plastic leaf or something in there, but leave a good inch and a half of space or so. I know it may look kind of big, but they're going to build that webbing up right up the side of the enclosure. So the burrow will go down all the way to the bottom, but it'll come all the way up the side of the enclosure. If you leave a leaf or something in there, they sometimes use that to anchor it to. And that was a mistake I made with one of them the first time I set them up is I didn't leave a lot of space in the top of the vial. And that's why I had to rehouse it so soon because they do pick up some decent size with the molts when they're, you know, younger. They grow fairly quickly overall, at least, you know, from they start off as decent sized slings and they put up some good size. So the problem you'll find is when kept in a dram vial, although it may be a good size dram vial normally for a sling that size, because of the fact they build these tornadoes, they tend to lose space very quickly. So I basically had two of them. In those dram vials and within a couple months, they had outgrown them and looked very, very large in the dram vial. So it was time to rehouse them. Now, the first time I rehouse them, I put them both into those. I think that, I'm going to give general di- uh, dimensions, but the Amec boxes, they're four, I think four and a half by four and a half by like six tall or something around there. The larger kind of cubish type ones. I put them into those with several inches of substrate, like around yeah, about three and a half inches, four inches of substrate. And again, I put them in. I gave them a starter burrow in the corner, piece of cork bark. They quickly adapted the starter burrow. Moist substrate is going to be key with these guys. You want to keep it moist and good ventilation, obviously, with all spiders. That should be, I forget to mention that sometimes. We want to make sure you have decent ventilation there. You don't want the cages to become stuffy or stagnant. But in both cases, they immediately adapted to the starter burrows, went all the way down cleaned out the bottom of it, and then started building up. One of them was in like two days, three days, it started building that volcano at the top. That basically went right up to the top of the enclosure. So once again, I didn't leave enough room. I thought maybe it was just something the sling was doing. I've seen 
tarantulas when they don't have what it seems like if they feel like they don't have enough room to construct the burrow the way they want they will go up and build one of these little volcanoes to give themselves some more depth and i thought maybe that's what they were doing but in this case i think they just build these things regardless so i put them in those they were doing well for a little while and then unfortunately the substrate i used in it was that tainted substrate that I was talking about earlier. So I lost both of them. Now, fast forward, I get a new one. I set it up again, start it in the dram vial. I, I had this thing about the Amec boxes after this. I didn't want to use them because I was kind of like freaked out because I lost both the other two and one of them. And at that point, I wasn't sure exactly what had caused it. So I was considering all kinds of theories, like even that maybe the plastic that I was using had something wrong with it. I you have that many deaths, you tend to start questioning yourself. So it was like literally Billy and I were sitting down making lists of things it could possibly be. And that was one of the thoughts like, all right. And I also have this thing where if I lose a, a specimen in a certain container, a lot of times I take that container completely out of circulation. It's kind of like, you know, I'm not taking any chances with it. So the the next time I kept it in the vial and when it was time to move it, I put it in these cylindrical containers I got that are about eight and a half, nine inches tall. And I think the diameter is about four and a half inches or so. And the good thing about these is they, they do offer a lot of depth because this had been three times I had seen these guys build these giant volcanoes coming off the top of it. And I wanted to make sure I gave it enough room this time. So I left several inches in the top of the enclosure so that they could build the volcano. And I put it in. It dug all the way down to the bottom. Within a week, it had built the volcano up. And this time, I finally planned it well enough so that there was enough room for this structure. Because I realized this wasn't just one, you know, an example of one of them doing it or one of them doing it because it felt like it didn't have enough uh, substrate to dig in. This is what they do. And I've talked to other people since then that see the same thing. So this is something a little different to plan for when you're setting up one of these guys as opposed to some other fossorial species where you can a lot of times put the dirt, you know, a couple inches from the top. Obviously, when they dig, they bring that dirt out. So something to keep in mind when setting up for a fossorial spider that you want to make sure there's always some space on top for them to move the earth to that they're going to be digging out. That has to go somewhere. It's usually up top. And you don't want a crammed enclosure that you open up and startle a spider. So... With these guys, you want to leave even more. So it's going to look a little funny at first. When I first transferred the juvenile into this enclosure, it looked like this would have been one of the ones where people go on and go, yeah, that's great, but there's too much height. It's going to fall, although there really wasn't enough height for fall damage. It did look a little taller than I usually would have made them, but it worked out perfectly because she burrowed all the way down to the bottom, came up, built a little volcano up. The volcano is probably about two and a half inches or so. So keep that in mind if you're getting these guys. And what they do when they hunt is they stay right at the top of the burrow, right at the entrance with a volcano, and they leave their legs hanging out. And as soon as you drop a prey at them in, one of the quickest strikes I've seen out of anything. They The other day I went to feed one and Billy and I were trying to get video of it. And literally I dropped the cricket in and as I was hitting the button on my phone to record, it was like literally my thumb came down, it shot out, grabbed the cricket and was back in before I'd even hit the foot. I can't even explain how quickly this thing moved. I was going to do, I did a feeding video. We did that Oh God, what was that uh, challenge? It was some feeding thing with a bunch of YouTubers and I did one there and I caught some video of it. Fatal Fangs, that's it. The Fatal Fangs challenge. I think in my promo video for my Fatal Fangs thing, I used video of it and it was just, I couldn't use it for actual Fatal Fangs because it came out so quickly that there really wasn't any really good footage of the spider, but they move fast. So that's something you need to keep in mind. This is not a beginner species. They're very quick. I I haven't obviously heard a lot about people getting bit by them, but as an old world species, you got to reckon that it's going to be a pretty nasty bite. So something to keep in mind. 
but they are excellent eaters. And if you can catch them eating, and I will tell you, they're light sensitive, they're photosensitive. They don't like coming out. So it can be very difficult getting footage of them because as soon as I flip that flash on, the spider's gone down its burrow. But if you're patient, you can keep the lights a little bit dim, sit there with a camera, drop something in on the surface, you can catch them eating, and it is amazing how quick they are. But again, awesome eaters. I've never had the slings are voracious. The juveniles are voracious. Mine now is probably pushing about three and a half inches or so. I caught her out the other day, and I was actually startled at how large she had gotten. So putting on some serious size, still has some of those beautiful colors. And I'll be monitoring that as it puts on size and see what it looks like as far as, you know, Again, the females are a lot darker. Still a gorgeous spider. I don't care what anybody says, but don't expect those, you know, psychedelic colors once they get bigger. But for slings, again, moist substrate, larger dram vials because they are going to put on size rather quickly. And this is a species you don't want to do is, you know, any more rehousing than you actually have to because they are quick and could be potentially defensive. Although when I rehoused mine, they kind of clammed up and they were very well behaved overall. So, Start the dram bottle, or if you're going to put it in a deli cup, I would skip the 16, go to the 32 ounce and leave a good deal, you know, three inches, two, two and a half, three inches or so at the top to allow it to create that dirt volcano it's going to inevitably create. I think that's important. Now, once they get a little bit bigger, something around the two-quart size, perhaps, these cylindrical ones, I have to figure out where I got I got it from Tanya Fear Not Tarantula, but I don't know if she sells them. I was trying out some different stuff. She's like, try these out, use them for the arboreals, and I love them for my arboreal juveniles. Um, but I, this is the first time using one for a fossorial, and I really like the way it works out for this species in particular. So if you can find something like that, but something around the two-quart size would probably work. Again, you, you want to make sure it's well-ventilated, and once again, you want to make sure you leave plenty of room up top for it to construct that volcano. So you're going to be looking for something that has quite a bit of depth. I'm assuming that an altered critter keeper could work or something around the two quart size for a juvenile. So it's got plenty of room to dig, but also room to construct that the tower that comes out of it because that seems to be something they're going to do and then as an adult i'm going to have to see what i'm going to do with an adult i might have to get a little uh creative with this one because again if this behavior continues i want to see that that tower this might be one that i do a bioactive enclosure with plant some you know plants in and give it again it's going to have to be a terrarium that offers enough depth that it can dig but also enough height that it can build that volcano for lack of I got to come up with a better term for that sounds so silly but that's literally what it looks like a web volcano that it can build that entrance upwards that vertical entrance shaft so we'll see I'm not sure what I'm going to put it in right now if I did a bioactive I might have something custom made for it maybe an acrylic that offers that height that opens from the top so I can put in that substrate and have it construct the volcano we'll have to see where it goes but again something probably in the five gallon range would be appropriate you're going to want decent amount of height so that you can accommodate the substrate and any, you know, structures that may build up the top. Uh, we'll see. I'll obviously keep people updated on this. But uh, as as far as care, the trick is to keep it moist. Water dish when appropriate. The webbing will stick to mostly around where that dirt volcano is. They don't do – I haven't seen a lot of webbing outside of that. They web up. They build that vertical structure, that, sh- that hunting shaft. There we go. I like that better. And that's about it. So I don't see a lot of copious webbing, but it is a very striking – 
construction and see these volcanoes. It's just a really cool looking thing. So we'll see how it goes. Moist substrate, water just, I'm trying to think. I have a dog that's snoring in the background that I keep having to pause and try to just jostle him a little bit so he's not snoring in the background in this whole thing. You probably hear him now and I lose my train of thought. But moist substrate, water dish, cork bark, starter burrow, pour a little water down the starter burrow so they'll go down seeking the moist substrate, leave yourself some height. They're great eaters. My slings were taking down small crickets, no problem. They were, they were ones that could take some decent-sized prey items down. My female, I'm hoping it's a female, we'll say female, but we'll see this next molt could decide, is taking large crickets, no problem now, grabs them quick as heck and obviously you want to reduce the amount of rehousings you'll have to do because this is not something you want to play around with as far as you know doing a, a ton of rehousings keep your keep yourself keep your spiders safe and they do grow quick enough that it warrants you can probably get away with two rehousings total so you get sling cage juvenile cage and once it gets a certain size it's young adult adult stage uh, cage you should be perfectly fine so beautiful spiders obviously they command a lot of money and that's something i completely understand again if billy didn't buy these ones for me the ones i got i would probably not have pulled the trigger myself i tend to be cheap that way but god bless billy for getting for me and i'm glad she did so i do understand the price is a huge obstacle for many people and let's call it as it is losing a spider is terrible losing a spider that you invested close to 300 dollars in that's not just you're losing an animal, you're losing a huge chunk of money. So I get why people aren't investing in them yet. But I will say that so far, mine has done very, very well. Again, the two I lost is due to that substrate issue. I am positive about that now. So I, I don't want people – this is the, the tough part about doing the husbandry stuff is you lose something. And then you start thinking, all right, who's going to believe me with my husband information? Yeah, here's how you keep them. By the way, I lost two, but I will tell you, I, we've traced it to that substrate. I haven't had any issues, knock on wood, since getting – it's been a year and a half now since getting rid of that substrate. I've never used it again, and we did track it down to – because luckily when I do the videos, I have a timestamp from when I did the rehousings, and they were all clustered around that one spot where I picked up those two bags of Agway. So – I will tell you the one I have right now, knock on wood, is doing wonderfully. We'll, we'll be rehousing her fairly soon. So that'll be something for people to look forward to that watch my videos and hopefully get some good footage of her there and kind of see what her colors look like. I am going to try to do a feeding video. I do want to catch her feeding on camera because it's so quick to just give people an idea of how fast a species can move. Because I've had people tell me like, oh yeah, I used to box. I have good reflexes. So did I. Did martial arts, boxing, all that. I, I think I have fantastic reflexes. By the time this thing moved, came out, grabbed the cricket, and went back in the hole, I hadn't even flinched yet. I flinched like a full second afterwards. It's ridiculous. So please don't think you're as fast as the spiders. You're not. I can tell you that. And uh, as, as good as I think my reflexes are, uh, they're nowhere near quick enough to deal with one of these things if they decide to come at it. So keep that in mind. But a gorgeous spider, obviously, uh, the kind of one of those ones that everybody kind of wants because they've seen pictures of them online. Unfortunately, a bit cost prohibitive. So that's something to keep in mind. But hopefully as these come out and, and they're bred, just like anything, they come into the hobby, you get new slings, they come in a hobby. A lot of them are imported from Europe and we it takes a while for them to kind of breed them, get a bunch of them in the hobby, get people hopefully in the United States breeding them as 
as well, and then we'll see them become more prolific and the prices will drop. But for the time being, they are pretty expensive. So for people who do decide to pull the trigger, hopefully this gives you a little more confidence on how to keep it. Uh, temperatures, again, nothing wonky with the temperature. Somebody told me they heard they had to be kept at 80 degrees, super hot. That's not true. Mine are kept, you know, 70s sometimes. Well, actually, in that room, it doesn't dip to the 60s anymore, but I wouldn't mind a, a dip to the high 60s. But mine are kept in the 70s all year long, high 70s to 80 in the summer months, uh, low 70s to mid 70s in the winter months, and they've done perfectly fine. They're growing quickly. Well, she's growing quickly, doing well, and uh, just a really cool spider that I hope becomes more prolific because I'd like to see more people get them. All right, moving on, a quick update on the bioactive stuff because I do have a, a seems like a group of people that are very interested in these and how they're going and everything. So far, so good. I'm going to have to do some more pruning. I did my first pruning yesterday. I had to prune a couple of the wandering Jews and then one of the pothos plants has really taken off. I also pulled out, I originally put one of my O. philippinus into one and put, I believe it was, I can't remember what the plant is, darn it. I wrote it down. I don't have my notes here right now, but I, I, the plant I put, one of the plants was a spider plant. The other one was a, oh God, Croton, Croton, something like that. I'm sorry. People that do plants, I'm so sorry, Josh, if you're listening to this. I, I am going to learn the scientific names because what I'm finding out is this is very much like tarantulas in which the common names mean nothing. They refer to so many different plants and some of them have different care requirements. So I am working on learning the scientific names for them and I'll try to use both. But uh, you guys just have to bear with me and the people that know plants are probably cringing right now. But anyway, the plant died within a month and a half. I probably didn't let it acclimate well enough before putting it in. That's something I've changed now. I'm showing a lot more patience. I have right now containers that have had plants in them for about uh, two months and the plants are flourishing. So I will put the spider in after they're okay. But in this instance, it was the first one I set up. I was all excited. I pulled the plant out, pulled the, you know, the dirt out of the roots, stuck it right in there. Probably didn't put enough moisture in. Whatever, it didn't do well. Spider plants is still doing well. But so basically what I did is I had to pull that plant out and put something else in there. And so I took a piece of thick cardboard and cut it to shape and kind of put it in an angle covering up the spider's burrow and the area where the spider was in, which gave me room to work in the front of the enclosure. So I was able to dig out the plant and the old plant and its roots drop a new plant in there. We're going pothos, baby. Those things are like unkillable. They look great. They spread uh, around the enclosure really well, do a lot of growing. So we put a pothos in there. So that one's fixed up. And I will be doing an update video on these as well for people that want to see actual image that goes along with it. I also have the 12 by 12 by 18 inch cage that I set up with the background with the pieces of cork bark coming out of it. And what we put in there was the aluminum plant. I put in, oh gosh, some type of creeping vine and I just added a rabbit's foot fern to the front because it just didn't look like it had enough in it. And that one's been sitting there for quite a while now. Now, my original thought was to put a piece of Letharia species in it. And that was what I was aiming for. Most likely one of my Rufaladas because they're bigger and this is a bigger enclosure. I'm second guessing it now only because those things poo everywhere. So I'm looking at the cages that I have to clean. And there's just poo festooning from every angle of they just like blow it all over the place. I'm sorry, it's getting a little like gross, but the reality of it is I'm worried I'm going to put one in this beautiful enclosure and it's just going to poo all over everything. So I'm, I'm second guessing that now. I really want to put a pokey in one of these things. I think it'll be nice, but the thought of having to keep cleaning the glass or have it basically nail all the plants. I don't know. I'm having second thoughts about it now. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. I'm starting to like, I'm looking around. It, it got to the point where I was looking at all the different pokey cages, trying to figure out which one had the least amount of poo on the side of the enclosure. And I'm like, whatever, whichever one that is, that one will get the new enclosure. 
So we'll have to see how it goes moving ahead. Um, somebody's getting it. It'll most likely be a pokey, but I'm just kind of looking at this beautiful terrarium. And once this aluminum plant fills out and the rabbit's foot fern goes and those vines I put in the polia, 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 some type of polia, teardrop, some dead. I have to learn the names of these things better. And again, I apologize. I had my notes here and I had to move my desk so that the dogs wouldn't be in the background and somehow moving the desk. I moved a bunch of stuff around and I can't find my notes. So unprepared. Sorry, calling myself out for this, but I think it was some type of polia plant that's supposed to creep up the background. I, it's going to look gorgeous and I just don't want the whole thing to be covered with chalky white poo. It just kind of undermines the whole point of doing this gorgeous terrarium. So we'll see how that one goes. But as far as the other one's concerned, they are looking great. That Wandering Jew, I'm starting to realize with people, I posted up on YouTube about the fact using it and how I love the plant and you can't kill it. And people are like, yeah, well, just wait for it. That stuff will take over the whole aquarium. And I'm like, how? It just starts off as these little clippings with a few leaves on it. Well, I'm starting to realize now how, because it basically branches off and I have one right now that's it's probably filled up about a third of the tank. So it's a good plant for people wanting to try something that's going to live and not die, but you're going to have to do some pruning. So that's the next step is to do some videos of the pruning. And the cool part is some of these, you can take the things you clip off, the clippings, and you can drop them in some water or add some, what is it, uh, root hormone to it, rooting hormone, and drop them in some water. They'll spread, they'll basically grow some roots and next thing you know it, you have more plants you can plant so you can kind of just keep them rolling so that's what i'll be doing with the wandering jew i had somebody tell me that you know just clip them off and stick them back in the dirt and you can have a whole you know big bush of them so loving the plants so far they're all doing great and i will hopefully be doing a video update really soon of all of the ones i planted and I've even got, I think, four set up right now that have nothing in them. I've also picked up a couple of the Exoterra Nano Smalls. The cubes are 8x8x8, eight by eight by eight, and I'm going to be putting a couple dwarf species in that with a plant. I'm just trying to figure out a plant that will stay small enough that it won't be ridiculously huge inside that enclosure and overrunning the entire enclosure. So we'll see how that goes. Um, and before we end this one, I just want to make sure a lot of times I screw up talking and I realize after I'm listening to something back that I mispronounced something, it's Diva Matha, not Diva Mantha. I'm looking down at my notes and I always want to pronounce it, pronounce it as Diva Mantha. I don't know why I put the N in there, but it's Diva Matha or Deva Yeah, Diva Matha sounds good. So I apologize if somebody's cringing every time I pronounce the name before. I haven't had a chance to go listen back at this. A lot of times what happens is when I'm doing the editing, I go back through and I listen to the whole thing. I go, oh man, I completely misspoke there. I just have an idea that I did. So I'm covering myself now and apologizing for the mispronunciation at the end of this so I don't have to do it at the beginning of the next podcast and go, sorry guys for everybody that cringe every time I mispronounce this spider's name. All right, so that will about do it for this one. A little shorter this time around, but summer's coming and I plan on doing more of these. I'm, I'm going to probably build myself or not build myself but create a little studio up in my attic so I can actually do these without interruption because right now we're at 30 what are we at 33 minutes or so and I've been at this for over an hour just with stopping and pausing and everything else so I need a spot where I can do them unfortunately my attic is not temperature controlled so in the summer it's gonna be about 90 degrees up there but eh, we'll put a bathing suit or something on and do it that way so I apologize for it being a little shorter this time around but hopefully we'll be able to do some of the longer ones I have one coming up in the future that'll be a really long one might even be a two-parter and again if anybody has anything they'd like to hear me do please let me know in the questions I'm always looking for questions and stuff because I think some of the best ones are the ones that come about very organically with people saying, hey, I have a question and allowing me to kind of give my thoughts on it. So that'll do it for this one. Again, I have Tom's Big Spiders, the website. I have Tom's Big Spiders, the YouTube channel, where hopefully I'll be able to get a video up today because it's been, I think, two weeks. It's been a little tougher. But again, 
summer breaks starting pretty soon. That's usually where I get very prolific with this stuff. And what I plan to do is shoot a lot of these in a row to make sure I have a lot of them banked up. And hopefully I won't have to try to do one the night after a concert where I'm just trying to keep my voice. That was poorly planned. Should have done it yesterday. So anyway, as always, thanks so much for watching. I'll catch you guys later. Oh, wait. It's supposed to be catch you guys next time. Oh, gosh. I'm so tired. I can't remember my own catchphrase. All right. Catch you next time.